Here we go. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're here with Mackenzie Frome. Uh, she's the Senior Manager of Corporate Communications for Griner Bio One. Interesting name. Uh, she's also a board member and past president of Pittsburgh Young Professionals. And uh, Mackenzie and I also grew up in the same place. So we met, we actually met in high school. Mm -hmm. Albeit briefly, uh, we had a lot of the same friends, so uh, it's good to uh, reconnect in a meaningful way, other than just liking an update or two on Facebook. <laughs> so, uh, so you're the senior manager of corporate communications uh, for Griner Bio One. What the heck do they do, and what do you do in relation to what they do? Sure, absolutely. So um, you're right. The name of the company is very interesting. It's German. Uh, so we have 22 subsidiaries around the country, around the world. Um, the U.S. subsidiary is based in North Carolina, um, and then we have a headquarters in Germany and Austria. And we are basically, at the end of the day, a manufacturer. So we manufacture medical devices and research plasticware. Um, so an easy way to kind of describe it is um, if you've ever gone to the doctor and had your blood taken, uh, mm -hmm. the products that they would use, the tourniquet, the needle, the tubes, we manufacture those. Um, and if you were ever in a research lab in, say, in a hospital or in a university where they do things like vaccine research, um, you would use our products there as well. We make microplates, petri dishes, um, pipettes, all sorts of things that are necessary to do um, any type of, of research, cancer research, cell culture research, anything like that. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm the senior manager of corporate communications for them. And what that means is that I'm responsible for every uh, external or internal piece of communication that goes out from our company. So I handle all of our email marketing, our social media marketing and advertising, um, our website and e-commerce platforms, and also the uh, SEO and PPC work that goes along with that. Um, I handle our PR and our branding and graphic design. Um, and also our trade shows and large events. Cool. So, yeah. So you're busy. Yes. <laughs> you got a lot going on. How big is, uh, how big is your team? Um, so, so all of those responsibilities themselves fall under me solely. Okay. Um, and, but I am part of a larger marketing team, I guess, larger. We all wish oh, our marketing boy. teams were larger. Yeah. Um, yeah. so we do have a marketing team inside of Griner North America, um, which is based in, in North Carolina, and it's about seven people. And that's got um, two marketing managers, three product managers, and um, a handful of like product specialist application type folks. Okay, cool. So it, it, it's interesting the relationship you have to the subsidiaries and then nationally and then globally. Mm -hmm. uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of my students will graduate and you know, they may be at large conglomerates, but they're mostly stateside. You know, they're, they're not necessarily global, global firms. So um, how, did you find your, how did you find your way to, to Griner in the first place? Yeah, so it was actually, um, I always think of it as being something that was meant to be because, <laughs> um, so when I was, I went to Point Park University, I got my bachelor's and a master's degree there. And as I was working on my master's, I started, to put out feelers to um, move to North Carolina. My um, husband now, boyfriend at the time, uh, lived down there and was working. And after I graduated, I was gonna move down there to be with him. So I was job hunting in the North Carolina area. 
and I had set up my first LinkedIn profile and you know my first resume and and um, <laughs> was trying to to break in anywhere that I could. Um, and actually, the company approached me, so they found me on LinkedIn through my profile. Um, the now president and CEO of the company at the time, he was just uh, responsible for one business segment, but. Um, he reached out and I got the opportunity to apply and I had to put a project together for them about um, a marketing plan and interviewed about three or four times and ended up getting the position and it was um, wonderful. It was my dream job. It was international travel and um, being in marketing, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, and it was very stressful at the time because it was my last semester of my master's degree they needed me to start by um, May 1st, and I wasn't supposed wow. to graduate until mid-May. So I had to petition all of my uh, professors. I'm, sh I'm sure you know who was the acting dean at the time, Dr. Cranu. Mm -hmm. So I had to petition him to let me graduate early um, to be able to take the job. And he agreed, but it meant that I had to take five finals in two days. Oh dear God! <laughs> yep, I took two. Oh, I took two one day. I took on a Thursday. I took three the next day on Friday, and Saturday morning I drove down to, to North Carolina and I started my job on Monday. Wow, that's insane! Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it clearly it, all paid off. It did. It was a good choice. <laughs> it was definitely a good choice. And uh, you know, it's interesting because I look back now and think to myself, like, oh my gosh, how did I ever do that? Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I think when you're 22 is the perfect time to, because you don't understand really what you're like, really getting right. yourself into. So you're just, you know, doing what you have to do. Um, so you've been with the company since you graduated with your master's then? Correct. Wow. So how many years has that been? Uh, eight, I believe. Eight years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's fantastic. So uh, you've got some permanence with them. You know, the mm -hmm. brand inside out. Um, plus with them being a global company, you know, you can eventually climb up the ladder and, you know, things like that. Um, did you have an interest in, in medical manufacturing in the first place or just like you said, kind of a, was faded? Yeah, I, I didn't really have any experience um, in manufacturing, didn't know anything about medical devices, um, really had to learn a lot of it, there was a really big learning curve because a lot of it is very technical, especially when you get into the research side of things. Um, you know, you're talking about, uh, I, I write a lot of copy and a lot of contents and, um, you know, you're talking about taking a, maybe a 50 page uh, white paper or research paper and trying to boil it down into a usable piece of content for something like social media. Um, right. And so, yeah, and you have to know what to pick and what to choose. And it took me quite a bit of time to get up to that point, but um, I would say I'm, I'm there now. I started, um, when I started, I was hired as a marketing manager mm -hmm. for one business segment. We have three um, for one big business segment. And then over the course of the, my career there, I've been promoted three times to be where I am now. So now the position that I hold is on the senior management team and the commercial operations team. Um, and I answer directly to the CEO. So hopefully- wow. The next step will be exactly what you mentioned, which is to, you know, maybe be at the headquarters or to, right. you know, CMO, whatever that happens to be offered, hopefully. <laughs> so, so you were down in the Carolinas. What brought you back to Pittsburgh? So we, about three years ago, my husband and I had a, a conversation about whether or not we were ready to start a family. And we kind of made a timeline for 
when we thought that was right for us. And we realized that in Charlotte, where we were, we had some really great friends, but we didn't really have the support system that we felt like we would need if mm -hmm. we were going to start a family. Um, and in Pittsburgh, we did. We have more family. We have more long-term friends. Um, I have parents who are very close to retirement age that can help with childcare, um, all of that. So, um, yep. and my husband's family is also from Pittsburgh. So that's, you know, we're, we both have a lot of ties here and his family, some of them, like his siblings are thinking about moving back here as well. So, um, I think it was a really great move for us. We both love the city. We would come up, you know, five to 10 times a year to see mm -hmm. people and to visit. And, um, it just feels like this is where we were meant to be. Right. Well, you know, I can attest to, to Pittsburgh being a great place to raise a family. So you made, you made a great choice there. Um, so uh, did they have, uh, does Griner have a, a Pittsburgh chapter then, or you just work remotely with the North Carolina one? Yeah, I just work remotely. So I okay. have a home office in my house. Nice. Um, yeah, dedicated office space here. And I've done that since we moved. Um, and it's been great. It's been really interesting to see the, the difference between working out of the office for five years and then working remotely um, and to kind of get the good and the bad of both. Um, right. But it is good, at least if we can say there's an upside to this COVID-19 situation. Um, it wasn't really much of a shift for me <laughs> to right. start working from home because I was already there. So. Right. Yeah, that, that was kind of uh, that, you know, serendipity in that respect. I, I haven't had a hard transition either because I do a lot of work from home as well. And I'm finding that at least in, in the marketing industry, there, there are more and more people working remotely. Mm -hmm. You can do our type of work practically anywhere, um, which is great. You can be sitting on a beach and doing it. Not that I'd recommend that, but uh, yeah. Um, so uh, with your eight years at Griner, what are some of the, what are some like maybe one or two huge things that like spotlight sort of experiences that, that you had uh, while there, like anything that was, you know, uh, when you retire, you could say this happened or, you know, um, some highlights. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's been a few. I mean, when I thought about my career when I was in college and was thinking about what I wanted to do, one of the big criterion for me was that I, I wanted to be able to travel. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, we're from Warren, Pennsylvania, where... <laughs> The closest airport is three hours away. And, um, you know, so I didn't really go. I hadn't been anywhere. I'd barely been out of Pennsylvania. Um, right. I said, I know I want to travel the world, but I want to do it. Um, you know, I, what the travel I want to do, I probably won't be able to pay for myself. So let me get a job where I get to travel and that'll, that'll take care of it. Yeah. Um, so about a year into the job, I did um, get an invitation to come over and present what I had done uh, as far as my marketing plan to the global managers. So I had an opportunity to fly over to Austria and sit in a room with, you know, I think it was 15 or 16 at the time, because we didn't have all of our subsidiaries then, but 15 or 16 of the CEOs of all of the subsidiaries that we had around the world sitting at a table and looking at me and saying, okay, what you're doing is working. I want you to present to us what you've done so far in this uh, marketing plan and what are your results and how do you think we can scale it up to other subsidiaries? Mm -hmm. um, and that was just absolutely breathtaking for me to right. be able to do. Um, it, you know, it, it was nerve wracking. And I think at the time I was like 24. So, you know, you kind of have these thoughts of like, why are they asking me? Like, who am I? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. 
Um, you know, but you, you get in there and you realize like, yeah, I, I can do this and I'm doing good work. Um, so mm -hmm. that was one. And then the other that I'm really, really proud of, um, a couple of years ago, uh, three years ago, we were tasked to um, create a conference for healthcare employees that was educational. Um, so we specifically go um, put our marketing for that side of the business towards phlebotomists, um, medical technologists, laboratory directors, and hospitals. And uh, we're big on education because our products can be dangerous. You know, they're needles. Right. And if, for example, if a nurse goes to draw blood or a phlebotomist goes to draw blood from someone that's HIV positive or mm -hmm. has hepatitis, um, and they don't do something correctly, they can get stuck and then they can be infected. So it's, it's very serious. Yeah. Um, so we are very focused on education. That's what a, a lot of our marketing content is focused on education. So we had this, this idea to do our own conference. We said, we're sick of paying to go to other people's conferences to get right. leads and stuff. Let's put our money where our mouth is and we'll do it. Uh, so we launched the first one three years ago in Charlotte. Uh, and now we've grown it to this year. If it still happens, it's in October. So I'm hoping that everything's back to normal by October. Um, but we've been so successful with it. We've managed to get 200 people to travel from 13 different countries wow. to come to this conference. We've gotten speakers from companies like LabCorp and, you know, these just huge, uh, huge companies in our industry that are really well known. Um, we've gotten, you know, five, six exhibitors to come um, to pay to have tables at our conference. And um, last year we had the, the biggest, best year we've ever done. And we had it in Las Vegas um, at the Mirage. So it was- Great place to learn. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it was really fantastic. And it was one of those situations where you just kind of stop and you look at what's going on around you. You know, you look at your mm -hmm. team of, of people who are working to put this conference on and you see all your work for months and months coming to fruition and see these people who have come for a conference, they're loving it and they're loving the content you're putting out there for them. Um, and at the same time, you're standing in the middle of the mirage in Las Vegas. And, you know, so you do have those moments where you just stop and think like, this is my life. This is what I get, <laughs> this is what I get paid to do is to right. be here and do this. Like, <laughs> It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that's fantastic. And, you know, one thing I like about your story there is that you were able to have these successes relatively early in your career. Mm -hmm. And and kind of, and correct me where I'm wrong, but I think what maybe that had done was they showed the investment in you and you returned that to them. So there's like a, a really great appreciation for you in the company. And by way of them valuing your efforts, you're, you know, you're putting that energy back into them. So it, that creates a, a really great sort of environment to work in. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, our, uh, my students are going to be entering, you know, the, the marketing industry here in just like four weeks, if that, and mm -hmm. some of them already have jobs lined up and, uh, some of them had jobs, but the, the positions were canceled because of the outbreak. Yeah. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on, you know, on that first job, like how should, how should students um, or soon to be graduates, what should they look for in an employer? Um, what do you think should be important to them with an entry level position, uh, especially um, in, in the Pittsburgh area, I guess. We'll start there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, a great question and I wish that I would have asked that to, to people too. <laughs> I mean, I lucked out with a really great company and a, a great job, but 
I have a lot of friends who struggled for a really long time and hated what they were doing. So it's, it's really important. And I think what to look for in an employer, I think that's different for every person because it depends on what you value. But there are certain things that I think are crucial if you're starting your career. And one of those is going to be somebody who's going to invest in you and your education and your growth. Um, you know, there are some companies out there that treat entry-level employees or freshly out of college students like grunt workers, and they mm -hmm. just want you to do all the stuff that nobody else wants to do because they're giving you experience, right? Um, but there are also companies out there that have programs and have opportunities for you to do professional development throughout the year. Um, I, you know, if you're ever interviewing with a company or talking to them, I would suggest that you ask, what are your policies on professional development? What, how much money or what funds do you put aside every year for your staff to grow right. themselves professionally? Um, and what does that look like? Because that's been something that has been extremely helpful. I can say I have never, I don't think one time gotten no when I asked my boss if I could take a professional development course. And because of that, I've, you know, I've, I've learned graphic design. I've learned InDesign and Photoshop. I've learned email mm -hmm. marketing. You know, you don't come out of college necessarily knowing all of that. Right. Um, but if you have a company that's allowing you to, to learn it um, and use that to help grow, then that's worth it. Um, and I, I think the other one for me, at least, um, was, and it's kind of hard, I guess I don't know how you would really know this up front, but I'm the type of person that likes to be given the freedom to make mistakes safely. Yes. Um, because when you're first starting out, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to make a lot of them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people who are, are somewhat tenured in their positions, like, like you and I, even still make mistakes. And we have almost a decade behind us. Right. So um, I think it's also really important to understand the type of culture that you're going into. And in that culture, is it okay to try something and see if it works? Is it okay to make a mistake and then learn from it and go and fix it? Or is it something that's going to ruin your spirit to want to move forward? Because especially <laughs> right. in marketing, sometimes you just have to try something, mm -hmm. you know, try something and test it and look at the data and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Um, there's no, you know, cut and dry way to succeed in a lot of these things. Right. And, and thank you so much for saying all of that, because I've been singing that tune forever. Professional development, especially if you are in a creative position, Mm -hmm. A creative profession, excuse me, uh, you know, with graphic designers. I was just talking to someone yesterday about how graphic designers are essentially marketers. They're just focused on one particular aspect of marketing. Mm -hmm. And like with graphic design classes, everything that I've taught, I've always maintained that like you have to understand the language, the, the tools, the techniques, the, the processes, the research, everything that a marketing student has to do. And they, in turn, have to understand how design functions and augments what they do. So really, marketing and design are two sides of the same coin. Um, so the difference here is that, and to your point, like if you're a trained marketer, you may not have the skills of the designer, but you understand the value of what they do and you know, vice versa with the designer. So that, that professional development is absolutely critical. You know, I'm actually in my pit class right now in my brand management course, the students are rebranding the city of Hermitage, uh, Pennsylvania. And I told them like, you have to come up with a logo and you have to design your pitch deck and all that stuff. And they're like, well, 
we're seniors. We don't know anything about graphic design and digital art. And I'm just like, figure it out, <laughs> figure it out. Be, right. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I can teach you everything I, I can, but eventually at some point you're just going to have to jump into it, make a bunch of errors and fail forward through it. Yeah. And, and I think too, this is a really great time for that because it's the golden age of information and technology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's, you know, back in the day, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted to go learn something like graphic design, you had to probably go to a class and figure out cork or whatever they were using at that time, you know, um, take a class on it. It was expensive. Now you could find a class online that you can take in your spare time mm-hmm. for 50 bucks. That'll teach yep. you how to design a logo or teach you graphic design. Um, and I think one of the things that's really interesting to me, and one of the things that I realized when I got into my position, um, because as you said, it was very early on in my career um, that I got these opportunities. And because of that, it was constant. And it still is most of the time that I'm the youngest person in the room. And yeah. by, by all accounts, usually pretty substantially the youngest. Um, and what I noticed with that in the beginning is you become the technologies are. Yeah. to all of those people. And it's, <laughs> it's really easy too <laughs> yeah. to get a couple of quick wins, you know, because you can find efficiencies using technology that you just innately know how to use or know how to find um, and, and help processes that they've been doing slowly or doing, you know, kind of the way they used to do it in the dark ages. As young people who grew up with an understanding of technology, you are an asset immediately walking in the door because you know all mm-hmm. of that and can use it. So, I mean, if I could offer any bit of advice, it would be, you know, try to make yourself invaluable when you get in there by trying to find efficiencies and use your strengths as a, um, I guess, what would they be, Gen Z? Yes. As, uh, yeah, as a, as a Gen Z person to, to use that information that you have to help build your company, find efficiencies, help their bottom line, um, and also to, to do things for yourself, ask for things yourself. So I don't think, you know, companies are, are running very thin and they don't have a lot of, of resources. So unless you have a really, really great manager, which I hope they do, they're probably not going to come to you and say, Hey, yeah, we do have money for professional development. Here's right. $2,500. Here's the courses I want you to take. What they're doing is waiting for you to come to them and say, I found these five courses. These are the three skills I want to learn. Will you approve right. me taking any of these? Yeah. And, you know, even getting to a point where you can confidently ask for that, I think is Mm going to be a bit nerve wracking, especially for an entry level person, because they may be thinking like, I just came out of college. I have all of this training. Mm -hmm. And then when they get into that position, they realize like, oh, shit, (laughs) I don't know as much as I thought I did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, thusly, that necessitates the need for for PD. Um, And but fortunately, the tools, like you said, that are out there that are either relatively cheap or completely free. Uh, you just have to put the time into, mm-hmm. you know, making the effort really. Yeah. Well, and, and I think college graduates at this time now, you know, you and I have done this already, right? Like we've been college students and recent graduates and you will never have more time in your life than you have as a recent college graduate. Right. So use it wisely because Later on comes, you know, children and stuff that take your attention that you should take your attention, you know, so use the, when you have the time, use it to build up that, that baseline, that foundation of skill and, Mm -hmm. and 
you know, my mom always says to my sister and I, and it's true, it's something we took to heart, is that you're not done learning after college. You are going to be a lifelong learner. Oh, not learner. at all. Yeah. Yeah. If you aren't reading a book, if you aren't taking a class, if you aren't watching a, a video, if you aren't doing something to help educate yourself further, then you're falling behind because somebody else out there is. Yep. And you have to compete with that person. Absolutely. And so I'm glad, I'm also glad you said that. So like with graphic designers, for example, you know, they are competing against so many people. There's an oversaturation of graphic design professionals out there in the world. And right now with, I mean, there's a greater emphasis on interactive design uh, that's been happening since right around the time I started teaching. It's like when 2009 hit, they started to change, universities started to change design curricula to uh, better accommodate the needs of the industry. So the students that I've had, they walk out of here with print capabilities, print design capabilities, and web, like they can code, mm -hmm. et cetera. And, um, but there are still some universities that will not teach interactive design. And so those students are at immediate disadvantage and they can't compete in the marketplace. And it's also those same students that wash out of the industry because they can't find employment. Um, but had they at least been given the, the, the inspiration to pursue PD, they would hopefully be in a better position. But the same also applies for marketers. So, you know, with, with uh, marketing analytics, uh, marketing research, I mean, that is, especially the analytics side, business analytics, I mean, you have to learn Tableau, and Python and a whole bunch of other things if you want to be like really good at that aspect of marketing. And it seems like designers, marketers, considering the nature of our work, we seem to get more and more and more software and tools and techniques that, that we have in our, in our toolbox, so to speak. So it's a lot to learn. Um, you're always learning something, right? Um, yeah. And it's important too, that you do, because I think yeah. well, also the trend that I'm seeing and have been seeing for a while, I see it in my own career path is that you can't be just one thing in marketing anymore. Right. So if you come in and say, well, I'm a graphic designer. Great. What else can you do? Yeah. Um, because marketing teams are notoriously understaffed. Yep. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know any marketers that I'm friends with or connected to that don't wear multiple hats. So if you don't know these programs and these softwares and you don't know the most efficient way to get the things done that you need to get done, um, it, it can really hinder you. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I, I emphasize with my students, like if you're a designer, you need to know how to write period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't expect you to be a great writer. Um, some of that is just innate talent. I don't even expect you necessarily to, to be a correct writer, meaning you don't have a mastery over grammar, syntax, the function of the language and how it's, how it's executed, but you have to be able to articulate and be detailed and understand just as much as you, you know, speak. And, uh, that makes for a better sort of working relationship with all involved. Mm -hmm. Um, so so what are you learning right now? So um, right now I'm learning German. So yeah, the, uh, the company offered um, some free That's licenses. Cool. Yeah. Well, so I learned Spanish a couple of years ago. Um, well, gosh, more than that, probably five years ago. Yeah. And I don't practice it as much as I should, but 
Um, I did learn to speak Spanish. Um, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed learning a language. It's, it's very fun. Um, and, mm -hmm. and then when I travel and I was able to go to Barcelona and Madrid and, and stuff, you know, to be able to go and communicate, amazing. Like there's no experience like that to be able to go to another country and speak their language is just amazing. Um, so when my company offered free licenses to some educational software to learn another language, I thought, well, okay, let me think about this career wise. If I want to continue to move up in the company, one thing that would probably look really good would be fluency in German. Yes. So um, I started learning that about six months ago. I have an accountability partner that's one of my colleagues, and we talk every two weeks and set educational goals for ourselves and stuff. And it's it is slow moving because German is a very hard language, but I am getting oh, there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I can say say some things, and I'm in really enjoying learning it too. So. Um, so that's for the next year. That's probably my solid focus is to try to learn that language to get to some amount of fluency. Awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. You'd be trilingual. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a fantastic, uh, you know, resource to have. I mean, not many people are even bilingual. I mean, I'm one language, but like mm -hmm. I'm trying to teach my wife and I are trying to teach our daughter some Spanish, even if it's basic mm -hmm. cursory Spanish numbers and uh, the alphabet and, and colors and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, you know, I took German, I took three years of German in high school and I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, yeah. so yeah. See, and I, I took Spanish and I feel like I graduated yeah. and barely knew, I knew like vocabulary, but I like, didn't really know much more than that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I ended up actually hiring like a private instructor that I met with once a week in Charlotte and learned from That's her. Cool. It took me like two years. Wow. Um, so I learned from her. Let me ask you this, uh, and maybe this is just out of my own personal curiosity, but when I was at YSU, um, I was really interested in, so Youngstown has an interesting uh, Latino population, right? Most of the city's half white, half black, and there's a, a contingent of that that is very Latino and Spanish speakers. And uh, the university, there was a lot of those folks, and they're fantastic, and, they, and I had told them, like, some of them were faculty colleagues and I told them like, yeah, I'm trying to teach Amelia Spanish. And, and they're like, Oh, and then they just started like yelling at me in Spanish. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, uh, are we still on good terms? I don't know what you're saying. Um, but uh, they, they offered me some advice and they gave me like just some basic lessons. I think if only to entertain themselves with this, you know, amateur over mm -hmm. here. And I actually was found myself being really sensitive to how I was speaking. Like I, I was so nervous that I actually didn't even want to repeat the things that they said because mm -hmm. I was afraid of like messing it up, you know, and not, not saying something incorrect, but just like, I felt like I was going to slight them somehow mm -hmm. just by saying something incorrectly. And, uh, I, I still haven't gotten over that. <laughs> yeah. I still get that. I, I really yeah. have to push myself to get in the situations where I can practice because my ear is not great. Yeah. Um, so I can read it very well. I can write it very well. I can um, speak it well. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's very nerve wracking when you go to somebody and you say, I speak Spanish. And then they start speaking to you in Spanish and you're like, <laughs> yeah, no idea what you just said. <laughs> like, yeah. No clue. Yeah. Um, and Spanish is hard too, because there's 
a lot of um, different dialects. It depends on where the person's from. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of, um, like, I've been told many times that when I speak it, I sound like a textbook mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm like grammatically perfect and, you know, sure. um, yeah. but most Spanish speakers don't speak like that in the same way that we don't speak English that way. You know, they've right. got turns of phrase and they shorten words and, you know, um, and so it's, it's very difficult for me. What I find is that if it's an American speaking Spanish to me, I can understand them. No problem. If it's a native yeah. Spanish speaker speaking Spanish to me, I get like every fourth word. See, and yeah, and so maybe that was my concern because these people were, they were born with the language, like they're from, you know, Mexico or Spain, you know, and uh, I was just like, yeah, I can't. I think if, yeah. if I were learning Spanish from an American that had to also learn it and they weren't born with the language, I might be a bit more comfortable. Um, yeah, well, and yeah. it's nice when you go over to the country that speaks that language because then it's the same thing like if somebody comes over to the US and they are they try to speak English with you you appreciate that they're trying to speak English because you may not speak their language right so right. um even if it's choppy or if it's wrong usually you can understand them and you'll help them out and there's no malice or you know bad feeling about that mm-hmm. um it's the same thing when you go over there like you know anytime I've gone over to Spain um I always try to speak Spanish as much as I can and um most of the time people are like surprisingly you know they'll say oh, you're Spanish pretty good. like are you sure you're from the U.S. because you're Spanish it's <laughs> <laughs> not bad yeah <laughs> yeah we actually had a funny my husband and I were in Spain um, Madrid one one summer and we were having lunch and my husband's a big soccer fan and there was a soccer game on so we were in a restaurant and having lunch and one of the uh, waiters came over and we ordered I ordered in Spanish my husband speaks it a little bit too so he ordered in kind of broken Spanish and, uh, and then I asked him if he could turn on the soccer games yeah so they come back like 10 minutes later and it's our waiter and two people from the kitchen. And we're like, what's going on here? Um, and he looks at me and he goes, where are you from? <laughs> They're talking about you in the kitchen. Yeah. And I, I answered him. I said, oh, we're from the United States. And they all just started cracking up. And he explained to me, because we were like, what is going on? Um, and he explained to me that they were had bets going on in the kitchen because my husband is black and I'm white, but we were both speaking Spanish, but they couldn't place the accents. Ah, uh, okay. And apparently women from Argentina look very much like me. They're very dark, okay. dark hair, very light skin. And so they were betting that we were either from Brazil or from Argentina. But oh, it never, okay. never crossed their mind that we were going to we were from the United States. That's funny. That's yeah. really funny. Because like, people from the United States don't ever speak anything but English. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And so, uh, so have you, switching gears on languages there, have, have you been, how have you been working with German? Have any difficulties with that or? It's very hard. Um, yeah. In the same way with Spanish, the Spanish has, has sounds in it that English doesn't have. Um, it has like the rolled R, it has the mm. N sound or the N sound. Um, and so if I speak it for a long time, like if I'm in a meetup and I'm speaking for like an hour or so, I'll leave and my jaw will literally be like tired because it's making <laughs> right. sounds it doesn't normally and shapes it and doesn't normally do. German is the exact same way, but like tenfold. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the sounds are in the back of your throat. There's a lot of like sounds. Right. And I am horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, like it's, it's really 
rough. <laughs> like yeah. I think my pronunciation, I'm proud of my Spanish pronunciation. I'm, I've been mistaken as a native speaker a couple of times because of my accent. Mm -hmm. um, I do not think I'll get there with German. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. Uh, I, 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 I have every confidence that, that you'll nail it. Um, especially if you want that sort of next promotion. Yeah. <laughs> Next time, ask for your professional development money in Deutsch, and uh, yeah. maybe they'll, maybe they'll <laughs> be like, you know what? We'll give you double. We'll give you double. Yeah. yeah. I'll take my bonus in euros if it's more. Sure. There you go. Yeah. So um, we're getting towards the end of our time. I want to cover a few more things. Um, so you're involved. You're a board member and the past president of the Pittsburgh Young Professionals Group. Yes. Um, I think I was actually a member of that. If, like the year I came out of college, like maybe 07. And um, I, had a, I had a good experience with it. Um, I didn't stick with it. I know, shame on me. But um, can you talk to the, to you, can you talk about like why it's important to join those types of groups, especially after you graduate and what kind of yeah. value you got out of it? Absolutely. I, I, they're crucial, um, especially in marketing in Pittsburgh, because it's a very tight knit group of people. Uh, if you want to break into it and get opportunities or hear about jobs before they're posted um, mm -hmm. or get recommendations, it's so important to network. Um, I think between my husband and I, we're both part of, I think, like six or seven networking organizations in total. Um, and it, it does a couple of things. So number one, um, it gives you the connections that you need. Um, and especially like the young professionals groups, those people, I mean, you're not going to be talking to the CEOs of companies but they might be the CEO of a company in 10 years or 15 right. years or 20 That's years. Right. So you make those relationships early and build those, those friendships and it, you never know what it's going to do for you down the road or what connections they may have. Um, but also it gives you an opportunity to do that professional development. Like we were talking about a lot of organizations, PYP is one of them has an arm um, where we do professional development and talk series so we'll get CEOs and CFOs and CMOs from all over the city to come in and give talks, talk on certain subjects that they're experts in, and then you get the opportunity to talk to them afterwards and pick their brain. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, that, that's a really great opportunity because you might never get to talk to the chief financial officer of PNC any right. other time except attending one of these events. Um, so I think it's, it's extremely crucial. And one thing that I would say too, is a lot of people with networking organizations, what they do is they'll go to a happy hour here or there and um, they'll exchange some business cards and like maybe make a connection or two. And that's really all they'll use it for. Mm -hmm. My viewpoint is if you're going to get the bang for your buck out of whatever networking organizations you're a part of, see how you can get involved with it because yes. that's how the real organ the real um, relationships are formed. That's why, I joined the board. Um, not only does it look good on a resume sure. to be a board member for organizations within your industry, but it also makes sure that you interact with 10 to 15, sometimes 20, depending on the size of the board, professionals in that arena every single month. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it's so important to do that. So you've just right there grown your network by 15 or 20 people yep. plus everybody that they're connected to. Great advice. I did the same thing, except it wasn't PYP or AMA. It was AIGA. Uh, I actually became a, I was a, 
I was leading our student group at Cal U and then I migrated straight to the board, you know, mm -hmm. so I was like a part of their junior board as a 22 year old, which was mm -hmm. awesome. And, you know, uh, I mean, for God's sakes, like I got my job at my adjunct job at Point Park because I was on the board as the same time as a person that I teach with down there now. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wasn't at Point Park at the time. He was at Robert Morris. So it's just like, it just goes to show you that a lot of these people decades later, uh, it possibly, you know, can follow through for you. It's really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so any, any parting advice for, for graduating seniors in, in marketing and design, anything that you would tell them that maybe you haven't already said, but you wanted to hear yourself when you were graduating? Yeah, I think one of the things that served me really well was just to raise your hand. Um, you know, when, <clears throat> when an opportunity comes up to jump on a project, even if it's not a project that you necessarily think is in your wheelhouse, um, or <clears throat> to join a committee or something at work, um, you know, it's not just enough to be good at what you do. You also have to be a fellow employee. Mm -hmm. And at some point in your career, you'll be a mentor to other people. So it's important to get involved in any way that you can make a good impression on every single person that you can at that company, not just necessarily the people that you work for, because like we were just talking about, you never know who's going to be able to help you down the line. Right. Um, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that I've taken on, you know, responsibilities, maybe they weren't necessarily part of my job, but they were looking for somebody to do it, or I thought it was a good idea. So mm -hmm. I like, I'll, I'll support this. I'll take some extra time to support it because I think it's a good idea. Um, and <clears throat> doing that, having that result in somebody somewhere else in my company, emailing my boss and saying, you know, Hey, I just wanted to tell you, Mackenzie took this on and we really appreciate what she's doing. She did a great job, blah, 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 blah. You know, mm -hmm. so it indirectly helps you look like a leader and looks, look like a loyal employee and somebody who's going above and beyond. And that's the kind of stuff that can make the difference between a promotion or an opportunity coming your way or not. Absolutely. So I'd say yeah. get involved as much as you can. I couldn't agree more. So if students want to learn more about you, your work, your company, how can they get a hold of you or learn yeah, more? Absolutely. Um, so I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. So they can absolutely look me up on LinkedIn. Um, you can feel free. I don't know if you put anything in the information when you send out the videos, but you can feel yep. free to link my profile in there. Um, okay. Yep. Just have them send me a message when they connect and saying, you know, that they're one of your students. Um, I have that a lot with, I've spoken at Point Park um, once or twice and, you know, I've connected with a lot of those students and they reach out for mm -hmm. advice or mentorship or questions. And um, I'm always happy to do that. Well, I'll be teaching there again in the fall. So I'll absolutely hit you up for that. Great. Uh, hopefully at that point we'll be over the outbreak and we're all kind of going back to normal. Let's hope. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mackenzie. This was great. And uh, we'll check in with you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks.